This is Unfinished Business, a weekly discussion show about the business end of web, design and creative industries. And today is Friday the 8th of March 2013. This is episode number 9. I'm Anna Debenham and I'm joined by my co-host, Andy Clark. You didn't say that I smelt like a gorilla. <laughs> I'm not reading that out. <laughs> the show wouldn't be possible without our two sponsors. With Typecast, you can quickly start type in the browser and check for readability, rendering and beauty as you work. And Five Simple Steps. We've two great business-related books to tell you about, Web Apps, Web Apps Success and Managing Web Projects. And we'll talk more about those later in the show. And the show notes, you can find all the links that we mentioned in this episode in our show notes, and you can find those at unfinished.bz slash nine. That's the number nine. Hi. Hello. I swear you put things in the show notes just in, on the off chance I read them out. I did. I wanted to catch you out and see whether you'd actually <laughs> say that I smell like a gorilla. <laughs> Which, you know, not saying I don't, just <laughs> depends on the day, I suppose. So how's your week been this week? Uh, good. A bit less frantic than the week before. Um, I've seen lots of n nice people saying nice things about your Surrey site. It's not my Surrey site. <laughs> well, <know>, but <laughs> I'll give you all the credit. I'm sure there was other people. How was your week? I heard you were in Germany. I did. I went to Germany for the work. And this time I didn't have any crazy adventures. It all went swimmingly. <laughs> um so yeah i was working down at um working down in Waldorf, which uh which is really nice so i got an afternoon where i got to go to heidelberg and just visit the castle and do some photography and the light was really nice and heidelberg is a beautiful city i want to go back there some other time when i'm not working and just go around taking photos it's a lovely place i think i saw a picture you put on twitter it's really mm. nice Oh, no, it's good. I mean, I like Germany and I like Germans and I like German food and German beer, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, spending as much time in, in Germany as I can, I think, he says exclusive, exclusive, that I might be back in Freiburg in June doing a workshop. Ooh. Yeah, I know. This, I'm, I'm writing a new workshop at the moment, which is responsive. No, but it isn't. <laughs> CS, CSS3 for responsive design is the tentative title. And I think June in Freiburg, we might be doing a workshop there, which look out for an announcement. And I'm doing it here too. I'm doing the same workshop at handheld conference in November. So we'll post a link to the show notes. It'd be great if uh, anybody wants to learn about CSS layouts particularly for responsive design. So I'm going to talk about flexible boxes and columns and some of the really new CSS layout properties uh, and then build them back up so that they're kind of cross-browser and stuff. It's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to digging into that. And uh, some other things that happened this week. Uh, do you want an update on my design thief? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, so backstory is somebody has stolen the artwork that Josh Cleland did for us, uh, which is on the stuffandnonsense.co.uk site. The, the scooter guys, well, one in particular, the fat one, the old fat mod at the end. Um, when you 
stretch the browser window out wide, you see the fat mod. That's the one that's been stolen. And, you know, I'm a grown up. People do bad things and then they've stolen stuff in the past. And like I think I said on previous shows, you know, when I've seen people that steal my copy, I've phoned them up. I've done, I've done this lots of times and you go, you know, hi, it's Andy from Stuff and Nonsense. And they go, oh. <laughs> and you say to them, I'm sorry. This happened a few times. I'm sorry, but I've noticed that you've actually taken almost word for word, uh, a copy from my website. You know, you've even included my wife's bio and put your own name in there. <laughs> um, and I don't think that's a very good thing to do. And they go, oh, well, they, they usually say a couple of things. They say, well, I think that was an intern that wrote that copy. That's usually the excuse. Or one guy said, yeah, I'm really sorry. We just put that in as placeholder and that was a few weeks ago and we forgot to get around to changing it. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of accept, you just go, okay, well, I've caught you out. That was a lame excuse. And as long as you change it, then I'll be happy. You know, what am I going to do? Anyway, that's what I expected this guy to say. Oh, well, we just used it as a placeholder and the site isn't really live yet or something like that. <laughs> Not this guy. So w- w- Josh and I sent him an original email which said, Hi, um, I've been informed about your website. Um, you've infringed our copyright by using without permission an illustration from our website at stuffandnonsense.co.uk. We, re- we require you to remove the illustration and inform us of its removal by within 24 hours of the date of this email, or we reserve the right to take action against you. So, you know, mm-hmm. cl- quick, to the point, not messing about. And I expected the guy to go, oh, yeah, really sorry, um, I'll change it now. Oh, no, totally different bloke, this one. He said, hello, your website is not copyrighted, copyrighted therefore you have no protection <laughs> or claim of action. Therefore, we refuse your request. Wow. I know. Okay, so the game is on, right? <laughs> so we write back to him and say, the illustration and the site design are both copyright, and that is clearly stated. You've copied the illustration with that from our site, and re- you've reused it without our permission. Remove it from your site within 24 hours, or we reserve the right to take action against you. I'm willing to discuss this with you now. My telephone number is, mm-hmm. and then I give him my phone number. Um. He just then writes back to say, uh, my position is unchanged. <laughs> We've taken video screenshots of your site, which show there is no copyright protection. If you wish to discuss this matter with us further, please use the details below. Then he gives us his address. I will not reply by email again. Ooh. Uh, whoa. Okay. So, so first of all, he's wrong because it, it, even if our website didn't have a copyright notice at the bottom, even if that copyright notice had, you know, had the wrong year on it or something like that, completely irrelevant mm. because, you know, by law, and I'm sure it's not just the law in this country, but it's the law, you know, everywhere else, certainly is in America. Copyright is just there. Yeah. As soon as an idea falls out of your mouth onto a page or onto a website, you have copyright about that. Unless you do something, for example, like use the Creative Commons Zero license. Mm-hmm. Or some other license that basically says, okay, I'm giving you copyright. Or I'm relinquishing copyright, I think, the, the, the CC0 thing is. Yeah. So the guy doesn't have a leg to stand on. So this week we have done as he's requested, which is to um, state that and a few other things uh, by letter, which has yeah. been mailed out to him today. 
um, to his office address. And I will update you next week and see where we are. I get the feeling, based on this guy's attitude, he's just going to go, well, come and get me. It is wrong. And, you know, there are wrong people in the world. And this sounds like a guy that doesn't care. And that's all I'm going to say on it the matter this week. I will let you know how we get on in the soap opera of Andy's stolen, <laughs> stolen graphics. Yeah. In terms of disagreements also this week, um, <laughs> Kenneth Bowles wrote a really, um, really smart thinking article I saw about how we refer to actions that people do on websites. Mm -hmm. Because in the past we've said, tap on this, or click that link, or click that button, something like that. And Kenneth thinks that we need a new word for that. Yeah. Um, and his chosen word was select. So he wrote a brilliant blog post, uh, not click, not tap, select, uh, about how we should use select for select that button or select that link. And uh, I don't agree with him. I didn't agree with him. Why not? Um, well, because I think that selecting is the, is the act of choosing something. Let's say there's three options on a page and you want to select one of them. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wouldn't have said choose. It's the same thing with me, select, choose. And we have a select menu in HTML mm -hmm. where, you know, you choose an item from a list, for example. So my response to this was to say it's not click and it's not tap and it's not select, it's press. Because in my mind, you can press a link, you can press a button, and it doesn't have to be a physical thing that you're pressing. It can be a virtual thing. So, you know, you can press down on a link on glass. You can kind of virtually press even like a maybe a, a TV interface. You know, you can kind of hover over it and then press, whether it's a D-pad or a mouse click is also a press. Mm -hmm. And that was my thinking. I was thinking press. And then you disagreed with me. <laughs> well, Third level in the drama. Yeah, so you know I do a lot of faffing about with console browsers and um one of them, uh the connect. You you can't you can't sort of click, you can't because uh, it's a gesture interface. Um you can't you can't really press either because to select a link you don't kind of move your hand forward or anything. You just um you kind of move your hand over an element and then you hold. And if it's a link, you get a little progress bar. And when that progress bar fills, then it takes you to the next page. And that's so, not, that's not pressing. So you're holding, you're holding the cursor over a particular element for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And then it will, and then it will automatically go and follow that action. Yeah. Isn't that a press without pressing? No, <laughs> you can't press without pressing physically. Hmm. You're not pressing it in. You're just kind of, you're just hovering over it. And there are some different, there are some sort of different gesture devices that, that do let you kind of press. But I, I just, I don't think it would apply to every device. And no. I think we should have a completely new word that doesn't have the kind of artifacts of um, previous actions. No, I agree with that. I mean, I think that press describes the majority of instances. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't go as far as to say that yours is an edge case because 
Because I get really annoyed when people say that. (laughs) You'll get really annoyed if I say that. But it is one context. It is one specific type of interaction. And I still think that press covers more instances than that. But I'm willing to be convinced. (laughs) There was Hmm. someone suggested um, Bop It, which I quite liked. Bop It. People have said Hit. But to me, hit is just a harder press. It just sounds kind of violent. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I can, I can guess what, they, what they're saying. You know, you just hit that link. But then hitting's the same as pressing. It's still the physical act of bashing something, isn't it? Mm. Applying pressure. That's what it is. You're applying pressure to something, whether virtually or physically, when you press. Yeah. But, yeah, it just doesn't apply to, to some gesture devices. Hmm. This is really a first world problem. This is like <laughs> geek nerd dilemma. Semantics. <laughs> I know. And then, of course, we're only thinking about English. Yeah. There must be a word in another language that's really appropriate. Maybe we could find whatever that word is and just apply it. Yeah. That would be fun. And then it would be totally abstract. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yes, yeah, so if you'd like to suggest a word in a different language email us at they have at unfinished.bz yeah that'd be good and we'll compile the a list of the most popular what's this crate thing uh do you remember i think it was a couple of episodes ago we were talking about um kind of client deliverables and the way that you can um hand over sort of the work that you've done in a in a nice format i do remember that yeah kind of Kind of like a style guide, but not a style guide. Yeah, so like a, a a page that kind of lists all of the documents you've created, all the templates, and sort of you know linking you off to any uh, sort of who was working on the project, um, who, where to go to to file bug reports, that sort of thing. I do remember that now. It was like yes, it was. It was a it was wrapping everything up and packaging it in a really nice way because we were talking about what you leave the client with at the end. Yeah, no, I remember now. Yeah. And one of the examples I gave was Clearleft because that's where I first saw a company doing it. Um, and I started making my own version and then I quickly checked GitHub to see if Clearleft had sort of put theirs up there and they have and they haven't talked about it. They've very quietly put it up there a few, uh, I think a year ago or something. Um, and it's called Crate. So there's a link in the show notes to that if you want to have a look. Um, they don't have any kind of documentation on it, but maybe maybe they will um, when people get interested in it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. That's really good. I need to delve into that a lot deeper. Yeah, and download the files because it's really nice. They've done. They've kind of made it so that it detects files and lists them. It's really quite nice. I wish I knew how to do things like that. I'm so hopeless when it comes to anything. <laughs> programmatic just i just talk all their stuff because they do this sort of thing all the time <laughs> like um jeremy's pattern primer yeah yeah i've been agreeing with jeremy so much this week that i think he thinks i'm some kind of <laughs> jeremy fanboy <laughs> but i don't have jeremy keith action figures not really that's yes. a good bit of follow-up that we had <laughs> we had <laughs> Man, you can imagine web designer action figures. I don't know which ones I'd like. Which would be in the first batch? I'd, which ones would I want to collect? Mm-mm. Mm. Don't know. We got some other feedback 
um, based on previous topics. Uh, we got an email here from Seb Green about whether or not it was acceptable to turn a website off if the client didn't pay. Yep. And he said, and he wanted us to point out that obviously he's not giving legal advice, obviously, but this is how they work at his company. He said, if you stay on the contract and who does work without one, he puts in brackets. Well, I think we know lots of people that don't yeah. work with the contract. Um, failure to pay will result in service cancellation. Then you are legally allowed to take a website down when a client does not pay. It's much like a phone contract. You don't pay, you get cut off. We state on our contracts that after two late payment notices, we may disable the website. Who knows the reasons why a client may miss a payment? It may just be late, hence we give them some breathing room. It allows us to make a judgment call on what to do. But we've never had to use it as we do staggered payments, so we're never 100% short for any project. Mm -hmm. So I thought that's interesting. Um, build that kind of agreement into the contract because if you've got that stuff written down even if they're not paying for design services or even if it's like a secondary or a, or a third bill yeah if you can say if you don't pay me for all of the bills that we generate for you we may cut your website off even though you may have paid for website hosting in the past yeah i think you need to be clear about these kind of things so that was that was good advice yeah and and also the bit about staggered payments um i just think that's good practice yeah well, i want to talk about payments as part of today's topic as well because that's going to fall into uh, fall into today mm -hmm. we did get another question email here from pete clark without an e he's wrong pete on twitter he said do you have a minimum job value or duration for new clients so yeah a week so keep listening because that's what i want to explain today what about you do you have a minimum uh, yeah, but I don't kind of write it down or anything. I don't have a strict kind of, it has to be this long, it has to be um, this amount. But um, it's around 5,000, lower than that, and it's just not not really worth it just because the turnaround and admin. There's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I know that from experience anyway, the lower budget jobs are usually the ones that give you the most aggravation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have to be, you have to be over a certain thing, I think. Yeah. I just don't enjoy working on them as much as the, the kind of the longer term projects. I've got, I don't think I'm really suited to that kind of work. No. I mean, I don't know how people do kind of hourly stuff, you know, people that have hourly rates. Yeah. I used to do that. Um, but it's just, just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it as well as, um, the longer term projects. Well, that's what part of what I want to talk about today, because that amount of admin that we have to do, you know, if you're doing jobs that are, you know, you're billing by the hour, or you're billing by the day or yeah. things like that, it just becomes an admin, well, it had did for us anyway, like an admin nightmare. You know, so many things to bill and so many things to chase up in terms of, you know, late payments or keeping on top of your cash flow. Yeah. And the weekly working regime has really helped us i know we're gonna we're gonna delve into that in a minute yep but first i just want to mention our sponsor which is typecast um i talked a bit last week about how um i often get sent photoshop files and um when i finish mocking up a template and i show it to the designer uh, i often get feedback saying that the font looks really different and and if they'd known um they would have chosen something else um 
And this is because Photoshop can't take into account different rendering engines or operating systems. So um, some projects we've completely changed the fonts after um, we've sort of built them in the browser because they were so difficult to read in some browsers, um, looking at you, uh, i.e. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not something that you can really learn by looking at it in a Photoshop file. So it's also really difficult to try out um, different web fonts using services like Typekit and FontDeck or Fonts.com or Google if they're not already installed on the designer system. And that makes it difficult to demonstrate typography options with a client. Um, so Chris Armstrong, he told me about this web app he'd been working on called Typecast. And I was so happy because, y you know, like I go on and on about front end style guides. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he asked me to take a look because it's, it's a new way for designers to create a typographic style guide that can be used in development. And they've added over 23,000 web fonts from all the major font services. So you can try them all out. And it's also really good at helping you set type in a browser. Uh, so you can paste in your own content to see exactly how type is going to render when the design's implemented. And you can test all different kinds of HTML elements and apply different styles to them. And it generates a style sheet that you can paste straight into your CSS file. Or you can export it and use it to discuss type choices with clients and share a special page of them to your, re um, to your remote clients too. So it really helps you make beautiful readable web typo um, typography and I seriously love designers who use typecast because it means I don't have to waste their time asking stupid questions like what's the line height or what's the font size for this and there are plans available starting from $29 per month for a personal plan and $59 per month for a team plan of up to three people and there are plans for larger teams too so go and have a look at the site it does a lot better job at explaining how it all works and I do. So you can find out more at typecast.com forward slash unfinished. I love having sponsors, which are products that we use ourselves. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't work without Typecast. Every single project that we work on now, it's like, I think it's the second thing that we do. I mean, it's a really nice way of getting designers who aren't comfortable with sort of designing in the browser to to sort of get their work in there as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that I've banged on about designing with a browser for, for, for years, um, but it just makes so much more sense when you're working to go there. Okay, well, I'm going to be using a font which is installed, uh, which can come from Font Deck or Type Kit or something like that. And you just go on there, find out what's available, set some real content, yeah, and see what it's going to look. And, you know, it's so fast to do that. And just to copy the CSS files out or you know, send out the the style guide to the client and say, you know, what do you think of the typographic hierarchy here? You know, do you like the styling of the block quotes? All that kind of stuff. It's just so good. Love yeah. it. So our topic for this week, uh, weekly working in kind of an agile scrum-based way, comes from an email that we received from Matthias Meyer. And he said, I just finished listening to the third episode of your show. <laughs> Where have you been? It's like episode nine now. But, I mean, it goes to prove that we read every email that we receive. Almost. Not the we ones do. That, we do read them all. Not the ones that try and sell me carpet. <laughs> and uh, Matthias says here, you mentioned Scrum as your current workflow twice in the show, and I'm very interested to know how you get on with it. We just recently discovered Scrum, but we can't get a grip on it. We see problems with smaller projects, 
that would not afford three or four sprints of five days each. Also, we don't really know if Scrum is adaptable to non-web projects. So how did you switch to Scrum? Now, can you explain to me what Scrum is? Because I hear all these sort of terms like Scrum and Agile, and I think I know what they mean, but it's I think it varies from person to person. Yeah. Okay. So I am not one of these religious types that is, you know, so fixated on, you know, one particular methodology or another. Yeah. And I'm not a project manager. So I'm not a professional kind of agile person at all. My, my experience of, of this is just, I hear stuff or I read stuff and I kind of piece it together into what I will call kind of pseudo agile or pseudo scrum. Yeah. But here's here's the thing. Here's the the um, the nub of it. Really, is that you've got several types of workflow methodology, and the one that a lot of people have worked on for years and years and years will call waterfall. And that's the kind of methodology where one aspect of design and development follows another. So, you know, you do all your planning and you do all your research and stuff at the beginning, and you can't start designing until that's been done. And then you can't start doing front-end development until the design's been done and signed off. And then you can't do database integration and CMS work and all that kind of back-end black magic until that's been done. And that's the workflow that we've all been using for, you know, many, many years because it's the one that we kind of brought with us from other media. Yeah. And that kind of methodology is, I'm not saying it's bad. I know that it works for a lot of people, but... It tends to be focused much more around um, artifacts in the process. So it's focused around things like, for example, the brief, the functional specification, sign-off documents, all that kind of stuff. It basically means that you have to define a lot of the project right at the very beginning. Yeah. And there's not a lot of room to change your mind easily along the way. Yeah, there's no room to kind of experiment if you want to, um, it's particularly difficult, I think, for developers because they come right at the end of the project. You know, if they say, well, you know, we'd like to change this, it then has to go all the way back down the kind of like up the waterfall, as it were. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, I, I hate working on projects like that because sometimes something will crop up, like I'll say, well, um, I need some styles for this or, and, and there's just like the designers like, well, I'm working on a different project now. Mm. I mean, to me at least, that old waterfall process means that you are, as well as doing the work, you're doing a lot of paperwork yeah. and signing stuff off, signing stuff off and, planning and i know know, planning is good but you know writing everything down so you have everything nailed into for example a functional spec and i'll talk about this in a minute um there's a lot of emphasis on documentation um and we shouldn't be designing documentation (laughs) we should be designing and developing websites or or web apps if you think Mm. there are such a thing now agile kind of turns that on its head which says listen we're all about developing and designing software yeah. And, you know, that can include a website. And the documentation and the process is there to facilitate the design and development. It's not a thing on its own. So we want to de-emphasize um, that kind of rigid documentation. Yeah. 
and the rigid process and create a new process, which is a lot more flexible and a lot more uh, focused on actually delivering an end result rather than delivering paperwork. And that's, in a broad sense, my understanding of the differences between you know, an old waterfall process and something which is agile. Now, I'm not sure what really the differences between agile and scrum are. Um, all I know is that, you know, those things, those terms tend to be interchangeable yeah. for, for a lot of people. But here's, here's the deal. This is, this is how it kind of came about for us because we now, that stuff and nonsense, we do everything on a weekly basis. Um, everything. So we estimate, we quote by the week. Uh, we schedule all of our work by the week and we do all the billing on a weekly basis as well. So when you say you do the estimated, is, is that like you have a specific day a week that you do that? Yeah, I tend to leave Fridays before doing this show for kind of catching up on all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I do that too. <laughs> but when it comes to actually estimating how long a job will take so that you can give a client a quote, that we do on a weekly basis. And I mean, you know, we, we plan that by the week. So we say we're going to be doing one week for this part of the task, another week for another part of the task. And we block everything into those, that weekly pattern. Mm. Uh, rather than doing things on a, a day rate basis or a month basis or even a project basis. I know a lot of people will give a price, for example, per project. Yeah. Um, and that's not something that we can do anymore. So, I mean, why we did all of this was, you know, I, I looked at our business and I looked at all of the things that were causing me problems. Yeah. And I realized that a lot of my stress um, and a lot of the things that were going wrong were all down to the fact that there was just so much going on. It was like, well, it's like I was being eaten alive by fire ants, you know, with all this kind of stuff nibbling well, at me the whole time. I guess and I you just have one day doing one project, another day doing another project. And it doesn't give you that kind of, it doesn't let you get really deep into it. Well, no. And you know, we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but you know, when things overlap and you've got so many things to do and you've got, you being, you feel like you're being pulled in lots of different directions. Yeah. And I know people experience that too. And I just realized that, hang on a minute, I can't keep doing this at a hundred miles an hour. I just need to slow everything down and be a little bit more, um, a little bit more sensible about how we organize things. So, I mean, if you think about the problems that a lot of designers and developers face, not in terms of doing the work, this is all, you know, apart from doing the work, mm. how often do you get a, a proposal through by email and you have to figure out a lot about that job just to even start the process off of giving the guy quote? Yeah. I mean, I know it's, it, we all joke about it, but you know that, typical kind of how much for a website yeah <laughs> or you know i got one <laughs> i got one this week um from a, a client that wanted to auction wine um and basically the brief was that they just wanted it to be ebay for wine <laughs> i'm thinking why do you just use ebay yeah <laughs> i mean it's a sensible thing to do so you know it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time to figure this stuff out and you know when you're working for yourself or you're working in a small team you just don't have that much time. And even you know, if you you sort of knew the client well, you can't kind of predict what's going to come up. No, I know. And here's here's the other thing. Right? I mean, we we get this when we get kind of lots of go lo lots of local government um, things through the post. Yeah. 
And I was looking at one this week from a local council in, in North Wales. And they actually went into quite a lot of detail in the brief as to, you know, what they wanted. But when I looked at it, I realized that even giving them an estimate in terms of the amount of time or the amount of money that this thing would take mm. would involve quite a lot of detail planning. And we haven't got the job yet. So in order to give them a quote, I'd have to actually be doing consultancy for them. Yeah. You know, long before they've even said, okay, yeah, we're going to give you the job. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's very sensible. You know, not for a little business like ours. Mm. Which is one of the reasons why we don't do those kind of big tenders anymore. I know, you know, people do, but it's just not something that we can afford. Yeah. Cause you're kind of taking a risk that the time that you spend preparing for it and, and doing it is, is going to pull through. And if it doesn't, then, you know, you have to charge your other clients that money of, of doing the tenders. Yeah. So, you know, it's just so hard sometimes. I mean, you know, people have good briefs and bad briefs and sometimes you look at something and you think listen it's just going to take so much time for me to understand this project um and understand what your requirements are because you haven't listed them you know i'm going to have to kind of figure this stuff out for myself and that's going to take so much time that you know at the moment at least i'm not being paid for mm. and you know there's a cost of doing business you know and sales and preparation and stuff like that is a cost you know you take a punt on things but you have to draw a line somewhere. Yeah. So what sort of projects do you take on? What's kind of, like if you're not doing tenders, how do you get those projects? They knock on the door, usually. You know, they just come in by email. Mm. Um, and as I think we've talked about before, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that I get to do comes from referrals. Mm. So there's much, there's much less selling involved in those kind of projects. But even today... You know, I was working for, um, I'm, I'm working on a, a proposal for uh, a big organization in Geneva again. And none of us at the moment know the full scope of this project. And it's one of these typical kind of organizations where they've got hundreds of thousands of web pages. And, you know, to figure out a lot about structure, even just to be able to give somebody a, a, an indication of how long the job might take, you know, involves a hell of a lot of information architecture. Yeah. You know, you really have to sit there for what, even if it's a day or, you know, or half a day, um, looking at somebody's site and figuring out, well, actually we could deal with this section or we could deal with that section. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. The, so, um, the Surrey site took just that bit, took a good few weeks, I think. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. So what are you going to do? What, what, there's a bunch of choices, I think, that people have. Um, I know some people have a day rate and they'll just quote by the number of days. Mm. Um, and they'll just say, okay, well, we don't know how long the project is going to take or exactly what's going to be involved. Um, our day rate is, and then it's just, you know, open checkbook. Yeah. But I know that a lot of clients don't like that. They don't like to think, you know, I'm not dealing with a big advertising agency or something like that. You know, they, they don't like to think that we're just racking up a bill. Yeah, because it doesn't, in their view, it, you could work there for as many days as you like, taking as long as you like to do it. And whereas if you, if you have like a fixed quote, then that's it. You're not going to go over it. 
Yeah, and people like to know what their budget is. I know, I know. I've, I'm doing some stuff at the moment. I've just put some expression engine work out to uh, to a fellow that does a lot of our EE stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, I told him what I wanted, and I told him what the budget was. Yeah. Um. And you know, he came back to me and actually said, "Well, actually, you know, we need to increase that a little bit because you know you haven't included this thing that we need to yeah. do." Um. And that was really good. He didn't just say. You know, yeah, well, I'm just going to carry on and, um, and bill you by the day. Because like you say, that could have gone on forever. And he doesn't know or isn't aware of, of what our income for the job is. Yeah. So I don't think that I can ever do per day billing. I just don't think it's it's for us. The other thing, though, that you just mentioned is this whole quoting by project thing, which clients love. They just love to think that, yeah, it's going to be X amount for a website project. And, you know, if they've got the money, they've got it. And if they haven't got it, well, they might negotiate a little bit. Mm. But they like to know it's not going to go over a certain amount. I think that's just human nature. But that's that can be dangerous, you know, from, from, from our point of view as designers and developers. You know, I've had loads of experiences where, you know, you think that something's going to go smoothly and then it turns out to <laughs> not go very smoothly at all. Yeah. And, you know, you end up making a loss on the job because you quoted a fixed amount. Or the client will want something additional um, because you've been kind of so restrictive in, in the budget, you can't give them that. But if you're, if you're working kind of on a, on a weekly basis, you can say, yeah, that'll take sort of roughly this many weeks. Well, that's what we do. I mean, just think about it for a minute. If you think about where a lot of people start, whether it's the client providing a specification or the designer developer, providing a specification to get sign off on the project you know this is what we're going to do and this is how long it's going to take and please sign here that's kind of our contract it's like a you know a piece of documentation in the process functional yeah. spec man functional specs in my mind anyway are such a bad idea i mean we had we used to work with this guy and he wouldn't get out of bed without a functional specification he wanted absolute developer wanted absolutely everything nailed down which I could understand, you know, why he wanted that done. But when you have to define everything in that way, particularly before you've even started doing any work, you're essentially saying to the client, listen, just agree now what we're going to do. Um, because, you know, once we get started, you can't change it later. Mm. And that's, that's, that's not good. You know, it's not good for a, it's not good for the process to control the potential outcome. Cause what happens if, you know, halfway through the project, the client goes, listen, I've had a brilliant idea. Yeah. Or the other thing that they do is they go, do you know what? Now I've seen it. I think we need to move that around. Yeah. Oh, so the, oh. um, the sorry site I was working on, um, that has a really nice, you know, we did, we did everything sort of agile and, um, and it was very much like that. The, you know, the, the clients say, Oh, I, can we do this? And we say, yeah, let's, let's try it out. And we'd do like a prototype and, um, and it would get built. And then, you know, a few days later, we might change it a bit. And it was nice to have that flexibility, especially in, in, in an environment where you wouldn't expect that flexibility. Well, I mean, in my mind, you should never have a process that limits your potential. Mm. and you know clients like to change their mind they should be allowed to change their mind yeah and we had like a, we had a certain number of days we had we you know we were saying we need to deliver the, we basically need to have this 
section of the site done by this date and this section done by this date. So it was more um, features were driven by, is it something we can build by that date or is it something we need to push back for the next kind of phase of development? So we weren't saying, right, that's it, we're not doing this thing at all that we want to do. We were saying we'll, we'll put that into the next sprint. Yeah, I mean, that kind of scheduling is really important from a business and from a sanity point of view. Yeah, that way you never overrun. Well, I mean, you're less likely to. <laughs> I mean, just just thinking about jobs that we did you know, years ago, you'd start off on what might end up being, you know, it could be anything from like four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever. And you wouldn't really know how long something was going to take because, for example, you were waiting, you might wait for the client to provide some content or some photography or whatever. So there was this kind of ill-defined time schedule. And that's just down that road leads insanity because, you know, you, what, how can you schedule? You know, you might have two or sometimes even three things overlapping. And that's when I got myself into some difficulty. Mm. And then, you know, as far as clients go, and this, this is the big thing as far as this kind of waterfall process and, and, and why I don't like doing it is what you're doing is you're saying to a client, okay, you've told me what you want. I'm going to go off and make it now. And your next point of contact is when I ask you to sign something off or provide feedback. Mm. And what you're doing is you're, you're not really involving them in the process. You're just saying, okay, we're going to have clearly defined sign off or feedback points. And that's when you're going to get to tell me stuff. And I just don't find that very effective. I'd much rather just, you know, show somebody something and they go, what do you think? And they go, Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, and you know, you need to have clients that are involved in the process the whole time. Yeah. Cause, cause if you don't and you know, they're not providing feedback all the time and they're not providing you with the stuff that you need, whether it's content or photography or whatever, then you're just going to get delayed and the scheduling is going to go out the window. Yeah. Well, there's going to be this kind of grand reveal at the end and they're going to say, Oh, that wasn't what I wanted at all. I know. And, and, that, and this something I've learned quite a lot is frequently, you know, as, as often as you can show them what you're working on. I mean, with the best will in the world, and I figured this out. I figured this out. Now, it doesn't matter how perfect a design you deliver. It can be the most perfect thing. You show it to a client if it's the first time they've seen it, and they will make a request. They will say, I think the green's too dark, or can you move that to the left? And sometimes those requests are, you know, it's good. It's good feedback. Yeah. And other times you think, that's that's stupid. Why are you saying that? You know, it's perfect. And I figured it out, actually, is that people want to participate and they want to put their stamp on things yeah that's funny because i was on the train home last week and um i had uh i was listening to a conversation that a graphic designer was having with the person next to him and he was saying exactly that that you know he'll say i, I spend so long i make this perfect kind of design and i show it to the client and you know they, they they'll just ask for me to change something just because that you know they want some control they want to feel like they've added something of value yeah and they want it to they want to be able to look at it in the same way that you know we do and you want to they want to look at it and they want to go ah yeah i i i did that yeah that that was my bit and you know that's fine and that's we have to make a process that allows not only for people to change their minds but also for them to have their own input too yeah uh, without it without it being a problem and I think that's valuable um, during a project, but it's kind of quite stressful at the very end of a project if they haven't had that opportunity to contribute and 
you know, if they don't feel that you've delivered what they wanted? Well, we've, we've just done this job this week and it's somebody that we know. We've worked with them before, but it's a, a, a new branding and design job. So we're not building the website. They're doing that. It's purely a new brand for one of their businesses and a style guide, HTML, CSS style guide and some overall page comps, you know, Photoshop comps um, of what we think the desktop design of this thing will look like. It's a design indication. Yeah. And, you know, we started it on Monday and unfortunately, you know, I've been away in Germany this week. Um, Sue's been working on it here and the client's also been away in Switzerland this week. So we haven't had this kind of interaction that we normally like. So, you know, come Monday, I'm actually going to be showing the client something for the first time. And do you know what? It's really scary because, you know, we've done a load of work. Yeah. And you feel kind of invested in it. Yeah. And this is, this is where, you know, because you've worked on something for such a long time, you kind of then bring your own needs and your own baggage to the table when you come to show it to them. You have to convince them to use a job or something like that. And, um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily pleased with the way that that went this week. Mm. Um, I don't think the design looks great, but the way that we handled it isn't as agile as, as I would like it to be. So here's some things. I mean, just, just some quick kind of ways why I think agile um, or scrum or pseudo scrum or whatever you want to call it, doing this, working in these weekly blocks, why it's worked for us. I'm not saying it works for everybody, right? Cause just because it works for me doesn't mean to say that, you know, I'm saying, Oh man, this is the only way that you can work. But from our experience anyway, um, it makes that initial estimating a lot easier. So let's imagine that um, a client comes along and they say, I've got a project in mind. Would you like to work on it? I don't want to be spending hours quoting for a job before I even know whether or not they've got the budget. Yeah. And sometimes with the best will in the world, you can say to somebody, you know, what's your budget? And they don't want to tell you because they think somehow anyway, that if you say, if they say their budget's 10,000 pounds, you're going to go, oh, that job's 9,995 pounds. <laughs> you know, you'll come in a five or under. Mm. So estimating is really important because you want to find out whether they've got the, whether they've got the money available for you to even think about it. So that's where an estimate is different from a quotation. Yeah. I usually, when I, when they don't, when they say they don't have a budget, um, I'll ask them when they, you know, when the deadline is and then I'll tell them sort of how many days I think it's going to take based on what they've told me. And I give them my sort of my daily rate as it were. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that usually helps give an indication of you know, when they, when they get back to me that, that tells me whether they, you know, whether they've got the right budget or not. So what we did for this Geneva client was that we sat down today and broke down their project into what we think are going to be uh, about eight weekly, weekly sprints in an agile scrum terminology. We think it's going to be eight weeks of working intensively on this job. So we're not doing anything else. We don't, we don't work for anybody else at the same time. During those weeks, we are working on that job and that job alone. We start on a Monday and we finish on a Friday. Yeah. Um, and what we did was we broke down the project into what we think are going to be these weekly sprints, but each sprint has a theme. So mm. we looked at the website and went, okay, so the about us section with all the history and the meetings and the events and things like that, that's likely to take, you know, one week. Um, looking at news and publications might take two weeks looking at um 
you know, another section or another section or another section might take a certain amount of time. And we break everything down into just these weekly sprints. And then we have, we have a rate, obviously. We've talked about that before. So we have a rate for, for those weeks. And the client can go, well, if it's eight weeks at this amount of money, then that, that's, yeah, that's within my budget. And if I think that I need to add maybe a couple of weeks, you know, maybe if I need to add a little bit of contingency, well, they they can tell immediately what that's going to cost without coming back and asking yeah, me. Yeah, that's what I do. So that works really, really well. And then what we'll do is we'll sit down with them and agree exactly what those themes are going to be. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably go into a lot more detail. And that's where we'll actually provide a proper quotation. Because sometimes it's more than just design. Sometimes, you know, we might be looking at a little bit of technical development, which is outside of scope. Yeah. You know, we might be getting some expression engine work done, which is the case with this client. And, you know, that's going to go out to somebody else. So, you know, we'll actually provide a proper quotation at that stage. And then once we agree what those weekly themes and those sprints are, we'll invoice that first sprint as a booking fee. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people do a deposit where it's like a 25% deposit or 50% deposit. Yeah, you do a week. We'll do a week in advance. And, you know, that week could be, you know, a couple of months away. But, you know, it's that week is then paid for, which is really nice. And then when you've done that first week, then do you invoice for the next week? Yeah, we invoice on a Friday. Yeah. So that Talk means about, that you're always kind of, you're always a week ahead. Yeah, exactly. Talk about that in a minute. And then when it comes to working, that makes the schedule so much easier because, you know, next week I know exactly what I'm working on. The week after I know exactly what I'm working on. And if you get things right and you get all your requirements right for that week and you know what you're going to be trying to achieve well you know you get to the end of the week and you go yeah phew i've done that now and you know you can put down your, your pencils and pick them up again on a monday morning you know we, we've got our weekends back yeah since we've been doing this you know okay okay so occasionally you might estimate wrong you know you might think that you're going to get a load of stuff done and you know you might not hit all of it you might be 95 percent um, so, you know, occasionally you take a view on it and you go, do you know what? Oh, yeah, I'll work on a Saturday just to catch up. Yeah. Or if it's something where you, both of you, you know, both you and the client have tried to get something done that's not achievable. Well, then it's both your responsibilities. Yeah. You know, you might roll that into another week. Um, you know, it's, a, a lot of people say, well, how, how can you, how can you make that work with a client? You know, surely they're going to want to know, um, exactly what things cost. You know, like exactly. Um, but I figured out, and I explain this to people quite openly, you know, if you want us to be flexible in terms of how we work, then you have to be flexible in terms of what we pay. Mm. And, you know, that seems fair. So what we've done um, now is we schedule things by the week, and it, we have a studio rate if it's both of us, so, you know, Sue and I, um, and we'll both work on something. Or if we're working separately on two different jobs, then everybody will just be a standard rate. Yeah. And, and that works really, really, really well now. We do this, we do this, um, client requirement gathering at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we'll sometimes do this. Well, we'll actually do this before we start officially working. It's, it, you know, it's a paid for thing, but we might spend a day or two days or however long it takes actually going through things like, you know, user stories, chunks of content, bits of functionality, that kind of stuff. And, we will produce a, a big bucket of things that the client needs to have. 
the site needs to have or the application needs to do. Right. And you, know, you, you can do that in a spreadsheet, Google Docs, something like that. Um, and that really is, is the definition of every single thing that we think the website needs to do. So is that kind of a functional spec? Not really, because it's all about actions. You know, it's all about, um, what, what a user needs to do in a particular situation. I mean, you know, I'm, I like I say, I'm not an agile expert. It's, it's like this kind of great bucket of stuff and you can keep adding to it. That's where it differs from a functional specification. This thing can be dynamic. You know, you can add things and take things away. Right. Yeah. Without necessarily affecting the overall project. And the key thing I have found about making this work is that you put the client in charge of it. Ah. So you're kind of making it up to them what they prioritize. Yes, is one benefit. So what you do is you've got this great big bucket and it could have, you know, a hundred or two hundred or whatever things in there. You know, it can just be down to whatever level of detail you need, depending mm. on the project. And do you uh, say how long each thing will take? Ah, well, I'll come on to that in a minute. But what you do is you make the client responsible for that because, you know, it's their project. It, it takes away that client designer relationship. Yeah. You know, and it makes everybody kind of in it together. And what we've done is we've said, okay, this is the list of all the things that we want this website to do. Um, you need to manage this. This, this is your site. This is your project. Mm. Um, you manage that. It, technically it's called a, a backlog. Um, but it's basically just stuff we're going to do. Um, and then the other thing, which, which I found about agile, which really makes a difference is in agile, you have what's called a product owner. Right. And they are the person that's responsible ultimately for whether or not the project's a success. Um, and they're responsible for basically managing the thing. Um, so make, make that the client for one thing. Um, but make sure that there's only one person. So you know how this whole kind of horrible design by committee thing? Yeah. Right. I mean, we've had this situation where, you know, we'll be working on something and then somebody will walk through the door and they'll go, hi, I'm Bob from marketing and we've looked at this and we need to change it. Yeah. Um, you know, and somebody else comes through the door and it's like, you know, hi, I'm Bob from sales and, you know, we need to change something. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of what's often potentially disagreements with the client, yeah. you know, between different departments or whatever. That's not our job to, to referee that. Yeah. So make sure that the product owner is, you know, just one person at the client and it's ultimately their responsibility to tell you what to do or what's needed, yeah. not the 15 people behind. It stops you getting kind of, it stops you consuming your time with politics. Yeah, exactly. So the way that, the way that we work and this, you know, this has been how we've done it now for a year or more, which we find really quite useful is we kick off every project with, um, a workshop. And I know some people call it hot housing. I don't quite like that term. But basically, get everybody in a room to discuss the website and to bash out ideas, not for how it looks, um, but for the kind of functionality and content that the site needs to have. Yeah. And you can do that in whatever way you want to do it. You know, you can, you know, real brainstorming. You can do it on paper. You can do it with big flip charts. You can do it on whiteboards. You can do it on post-it notes, all that kind of stuff. But get them involved at the beginning because that will really give them an understanding of what's involved. Yeah. And then you can group all of these things together. You're going to put those things into this product backlog and then sit down with a client and work out 
what you're going to accomplish each week. So what you do is you take those requirements out of the backlog and you put them into like that thing they call it a sprint backlog or something like that. It's basically all the stuff you're going to do that week. And you obviously have to estimate how long things are going to take and you have to agree with the client what you're going to do that week. Yeah. So, so the easiest way that we do that is we break things into kind of weekly themes. Like I said before, and it tends to be what we did with estimating. So we'll have, we'll say, oh, this week the theme is going to be the about us section. And next week the theme is going to be about the news section. And then what you can do is you can, at the beginning of each week, we have a, planning meeting um, and that's never any more than four hours always make sure that you know whoever's in the meeting room it's that's it's time box you can never go over that four hours right so generally that's a monday morning and you plan out everything that you expect to do that week and it's a bit of negotiation you know you have to kind of bat things backwards and forwards but you've got to be realistic so in everybody's interest that you get stuff done and then what we do is you know we go off and work and then this whole kind of client participation thing again, instead of waiting till the end of the week to show them something, we do um, a daily meeting on Skype every day. First thing in the morning, 10 minutes. Yeah. So you can talk to them about what you're going to, what you did the previous day, you know, what went good and what went bad. Yeah. Um, you can talk about um, the job itself. You can talk about things that got in your way um, and things that you didn't have that w- you you needed to do what you needed to do, yeah. And that that can be as simple as listen. We were working on the uh, on the introduction to the website today, and we expected you to write the copy for it, and we didn't get it. Yeah, so it's like a kind of a daily stand up, and you you say what blockers you have, and um, and hopefully that helps you kind of progress because then people are aware of what they need to be working on to get you set up. Yeah, and you know what? It's just about involving the client in the project so that you're working with them rather than for them. I know that's yeah. a kind of like horrible way of saying it, but, you know, people have said, because I often have people that will come into the office and they'll they'll sit with me while I'm doing stuff. And people, ah, I don't know how you can work that way. Yeah, I could never have the client sitting there while you're designing something. But, you know, mm. clients love that level of participation. You know, they they love to sit there and, you know, be able to go, do you know what? Yeah, actually it would look, it would look better if it was orange rather than green. And, you know, if you do that and you get people involved the whole time, then you're not getting that horrible kind of sending over a piece of work and expecting them just to provide feedback and the delay that that causes. Yeah, you're not a monkey or you're working with them. And, you know, they love that thing. So if you do that, they're not going to come back at the end of the project and just try and put their little mark on it. Because they've had involvement all the way through. So that really works. Um, you know, if you get them involved in the project at that level, then they know what they've got to do as well. So they know that they, you, they're going to have to be giving you the content or they're going to have to be thinking about copy or they're going to have to be providing photography or whatever. So that whole kind of typical thing where, yeah, I finished the website three weeks ago and we're still waiting for the content. Mm. That never happens. You never have that. Because they can see what's coming up and because you're building stuff sort of while you're doing other stuff, you know, you, you, you're letting things out the door, then they can be sort of filling in the gaps like the yeah. content. And we've, as you go. we've scheduled this weeks in advance. So they know that on that week we are going to be working on their project exclusively and they need to be there for us in the same way that they're 
you know, that we're there for them. So it's really important that, you know, they, they know that they have to participate and they have to be available during that project. And, you know, the timescales just crunch. Yeah. You know, that whole thing about, you know, oh, well, this website's taken three months longer than it should have done. Never happens with us because, you know, we're, everything just sticks to the time. Um, I know this scares the pants off a lot of people. Um, share the Dropbox. We work out of our Dropbox and we share the Dropbox with the client. So if they want to open up a PSD or they want to open up some HTML um, and have a look at it at any point, they can do. Yeah. And we even we, – we'll encourage them to put their own content into the HTML or the CMS. Yeah. While while we're working, yeah, I, uh, I did that as well. Um, we're sorry, we've got a you know, sort of shared GitHub account, and every time I work on something, commit what I've done. Um, and it's you know, there's there's like a there's a prototype version, and there's a there's a kind of stable version. Um, and the prototype version that's that's really easy for someone to to kind of to add stuff to experiment. Um, we've got like the content team uh can have access to that but then there's the sort of live version which once we've got something finalized we then move that across yeah i mean sometimes you you, you get it wrong don't you yeah and, and and this process is supposed to be allowed it's supposed to allow for for you to get it wrong um so if you've just been ridiculously hopelessly optimistic and you put things into the into the sprint or into the week that you know, you're just not going to get done. Then that's okay. And you have to then negotiate as to how we're going to handle that. You know, we're going to roll that into another week. But the other thing is, is that the client can go, I'm looking at this page now and I think it'd be a really good idea if it did something different, you know, worked in a different way. And then in the past, in the old waterfall way, you'd have to go, well, that's a very good idea, Bob. But we've specified that it's going to work another way. Now, if you want to change that, that's not going to be a problem, but we'll have to issue a change request and that's going to cost <laughs> an extra amount of money and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, oh man, who wants to deal with that? Yeah. So what you can do is you can say to the client, ah, Bob, that is a brilliant idea. I'm, ah, I don't know why I didn't see that before. And then of course the client feels really happy that you're telling him that he's very clever. And then you say, yeah, we can, we can definitely deal with that. It's outside of, you know, what we said that we were going to do this week. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if we work on that now, we're not going to get what we did say that we would work, do done. So it's such a good idea though. What we can do is we'll roll it into another week. Yeah. We'll roll it into another sprint. Um, and at that point, either it was a really good idea and they were just going to want to buy that or they'll go, actually, it wasn't such a good idea. And I think I'll save the money. But yeah, you know, it's so much easier. It just makes the conversation with the client so much more open, you know. Hmm. Can you tell me about something you like? I can. <laughs> I can. It's our next sponsor. And uh, it's Five Simple Steps. So I've got really a real personal connection with uh, with Five Simple Steps. They are they're an offshoot of Mark Bolton Design, and they've published some of the most beautiful web and design books you'll find uh they published john hicks's icon handbook have you got a copy of that i have yeah beautiful absolutely beautiful i firmly believe that only five simple steps could have published that book it, i mean the quality is just astounding and uh, they published hardboard web design not sure who wrote that <laughs> he had a stupid hat 
I've got that one. Yeah? Yeah, still it, in the shrink wrap. You could do somebody an injury with that. It's such a heavy book. <laughs> so over the last few weeks, Five Simple Steps have been focusing on their Practical Guide series, and in particular, two books about the business side of WebWorld. So Dan Zambonini's Web App Success and Brendan Knowlton's Managing Web Projects. So Web App Success is a complete overview of a web app's development lifecycle right from its initial conception and research through design and development to pricing and marketing. He covers everything. If you're looking to develop an app or you've already started building one or you want to refresh an existing one, Web App Success, ah, oh, it's a great book for you. I've, I've read it and it's, I don't d design apps, but it's a really, really good book. Brendan Knowlton's Managing Web Projects might sound like it's geared solely towards project managers, but that's not the case at all. This is a book for everyone who works on web projects. It's a comprehensive guide to every stage of a typical project, paired with tried and tested techniques that will help you ensure your next project's a success. So if you've been thinking about developing an app or you're ready to start a new project, these titles should definitely be on your desk. They're both really good books. They provide a wealth of processes, tips and techniques to help you push your business forward. They're available in paperback, digital formats, and a bundle that's the paperback and the digital versions. So find out more, buy your copies at fivesimplesteps.com. So there's some things about Agile that we don't do, um, mainly because I don't understand it all. Anyway, I, I think I really want to sit down and learn more about this, but I just haven't had the time, to be honest. I mean, there the, are these things called burn-down charts where... You know, you take your list of requirements and you know, for each sprint and then you burn through them by doing the, doing the job. And the idea is, is that, you know, you start off with a, a tall stack of them and then progressively throughout the week you burn down to nothing. Is that like a Gantt chart? Yeah, something I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do that kind of stuff, you know, because I'm not a project manager. And, you know, typically we don't work with project managers either. You know, we work with, clients that are just clueless about designing websites as we are sometimes um so you know we're not professional project managers so i don't do that kind of stuff you know in terms of the money side of it right getting down to brass tacks doing this weekly thing as i mean it's, it's just improved cash flow no end you know because we bill in advance now like you mentioned before yeah so we have so much so much less you know waiting for, for for clients to pay you know we can say to them on a friday okay you know we're going to want paying before we start next week um that's worked out pretty well do you they know, always do that or is it some a bit funny about it because it's not always the client that is in control of that often it's um a kind of another agency yeah, for the most part, it's worked okay. Occasionally, you know, things will drag on into the following week, but you know, they'll only, that'll only happen once. Yeah. You know, if it looks like people are going to be a pain, then 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 you have to do something about it. Um. So that's helped cash flow no end. Um. It's simplified billing too because you know we don't have that many invoices to put out. Uh. You know, all that many invoices to keep track of because yeah. you know we're doing everything by the week rather than by the day. So that that works better. Um. So yeah, it just, it's just worked really, really well for us. I mean, I mean, I, I just, I feel better organized. You know, I'm a terrible multitasker. 
I, I mean, I'm hopeless when it comes to actually planning things, but I just, I just feel more, more organized. How do you, do um, how do you fit, uh, these sprints in? Cause they're, they're presumably five days. Yeah. How do Monday you fit to, that Monday in with things like workshops? I tend not to plan things for when, um, I can't do a full week. Right. So for example, um, I'm off to Belfast, uh, and I'm doing a workshop and some stuff at University of Ulster. Uh-huh. So I don't have anything planned for that week. We've, we've got a job coming in. I mean, Sue's going to be working on something for that entire week. Um, but I'm not going to be part of it apart from just, you know, overseeing what she's done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have to be a bit careful. Obviously there's nothing booked in, you know, when we go to Japan. But, you know, you do have to be careful. It puts a whole different um, perspective on whether or not you're going to go to a conference. Yeah, because presumably you've got to take that whole week out of work. I mean, it yeah. can be quite handy if you, you know, if you want to work on a side project or something, or you can have that week to catch up on accounting. But, yeah, I guess it, it, it can be quite, like, where do you fit in things like doing doing accounting in that week? Well, I don't tend to do much accounting. Um <laughs> Yeah, Friday afternoons tend to be, we're before the show, tend to be my kind of just paperwork catch up. Yeah. You know, because obviously, you know, people expect you to be doing, you know, other parts of the business, not necessarily working for another client, but you know, there's, a, there's all kinds of stuff to do. You know, the phone call, phone calls always come in and emails always come in. So, you know, there's lots of stuff that people have to deal with. Mm. But yeah, I mean, and it, and it helps now, it not just being me doing the design work because it means that, yeah, I can pass up stuff onto somebody else for a couple of days maybe while I go off to a, an event. Yeah. Um, it hasn't happened yet because we're still fairly new into it, but I'm sure that's going to get easier. I'm a lot less stressed than I was two or three years ago. Um, I got myself into, into real trouble um, just with being completely, completely overwhelmed. Um, we have a dent <laughs> we have a dent in our bedroom wall um, because one day, you know, I, and I was supposed to be going off to Geneva to work on something and there was just so much going on. I punched the wall <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't, I don't do that often, but man, I was just getting to the point where I couldn't cope with like, what was the next thing going to be? And it was all good. It wasn't like, you know, people were being nasty or anything. It was, it was just, Oh God, another thing. <laughs> And I, and, and I had to find some way of dealing with it. So now I'm a lot less stressed because I can just see, okay, that's a week and we're going to work on that. Yeah. And I guess you can sort of look at your calendar and say, well, I've got some availability here rather than, oh, I've got a day here and there. Yeah. I know. It just makes it so much easier just to be able to glance at the calendar and see the thing that says AC and there's an empty week. Yeah. And you just go, okay, yeah, I'm going to work on it then. So yeah, that works really well. Um, and I'm so much happier with, the client involvement. Yeah, I know I mentioned this thing that we did with this job this week where, you know, I'm actually not so happy this week because I haven't had the chance to, you know, really get the client to participate a lot because she's been away. Yeah. And I've been away. Um, but in general, it's just so much nicer to be working with people and not have that kind of awful feeling in the pit of your stomach, that kind of butterflies when you need to start showing people things. What's their yeah. reaction going to be, you know? So I'm, I'm happier. I mean, I'm not perfect at it, but I'd really like to, to find out how other people work, you know, whether or not they've done something similar. Do you think you could work this way? 
I kind of do bits of it. I don't. I don't do the whole week thing. Um, I might start doing that, but it really depends on the sorts of clients I'm working for. I mean, some some are really open to that. Others, you know, if it's if it's a kind of a big company or something, often they've got their own way of doing things, and I don't have a lot of control over it. Often they'll just want someone to. I just need someone to code for this many days and but it it is something that i'll i'll definitely look into and and sort of aim towards Mm, i mean maybe there's some you know bits of it that you'd be able to to do yeah but hopefully people will get something out of that because i mean it's it's a journey isn't it and i've i'm not perfect at this but i'm better at it than i was when i started oh I was terrible when I started I was just all over the place um you know I was I was at some points billing by the hour um I was just working on so many projects at once and it was it was very stressful Uh, but I think everyone goes through that a bit when they're starting out you know they sort of they have a lot more commitments at once and it's not until you really um you get that sort of portfolio where you can start working for sort of longer term projects um but, but we really, used to we used really to do those things. projects now yeah i mean we used to do things like you would you'd be working on something and there'd be a delay whether it was your fault or the client's fault or it doesn't really matter you know a delay occurred and then you'd end up you know with the schedule being pushed back and you'd have to phone up the next client and say actually you know we've we've had a yeah. delay um and i think that we're going to have to move your project back a week and there's nothing worse than that for yeah. your stress levels so sarah parmenter i can't remember whether this was a blog post or just something she said um she said she leaves like a big gap um between projects i think either a couple of weeks or a month even um so that if one overruns then she's got that kind of breathing room um and i, I think that's quite a good approach yeah i mean i'm looking at the calendar now and i've got a week for my german client next week um the week after that is ulster so there's stuff going on but i'm not directly involved in it at the university the next week as it stands at the moment i don't have anything in i don't have anything in for either of us Mm. um and to be honest i'm really not worried about that because yeah that's a bit of breathing room for one thing and also i need time to develop this new workshop material yeah. So I reckon that I'm going to spend at least a week, you know, I'm going to spend all that week working on the workshop material. And then we're off to Japan. Yeah. And leaving that bit of breathing room, that those spaces where, you know, naturally you don't end up doing, to have something to do for a week. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah. We should wrap up. We should stitch it up. <laughs> stitch it up. So you can email me at shehas at unfinished dot bz and andy at he has at unfinished dot bz or you can email us both at they have at unfinished dot bz you can find all the links we mentioned in this episode in our show notes and you'll find them at unfinished dot bz forward slash nine to ask us questions and suggest topics message us on twitter at unfinished bz and thanks again to our fantastic sponsors this week typecast and five simple steps With Typecast, you can quickly style type in the browser and check for readability, rendering, and beauty as you work. Find out more about them at typecast.com slash unfinished. And five simple steps. 
those two great business-related books we told you about, Web App Success and Managing Web Projects. Buy your copies there at fivesimplesteps.com. Let's talk about Kill Bill, Volume 2. <laughs> now, are you sure you watched Kill Bill, Volume 2? I did. I definitely watched Volume 2. It'll take a big glug of water. I wrote some notes on it in the dark, and I can't make any sense of them, but I'll try. I thought this was a really good ending. It was different. I thought it was. It, it had a different feel to it than the first one. Yeah, and if you hadn't said uh, in the last show about um, it originally being just one big film, I think I would have been very disappointed because it. I didn't think it was first as it, it, it wasn't as good as the first one, um, and you know it wasn't ex- as exciting. I thought, but if you watch it all as one film, I think it it's a lot more enjoyable. I mean, it was a lot more wordy, yeah, and a lot less slashy than yeah. the first one. Um, and the, the bit right at the start where um, uh, where the bride is sort of. She's almost recapping what's happened in the last one. Yeah, it I just wanted to felt that. very strange. Like it, it, you know, breaking the fourth wall didn't. I, I didn't really like that bit. Hmm. No, I was. I, I was. Could, I can see why they put it in though, because uh, sort of, you know, if you didn't plan to make two, two films, if you only planned to make one, you kind of got to segue and explain what happened in the last one. But I just thought that that didn't really work. I don't understand why they needed to do it because. Why would you go and see the second one if you hadn't seen the first one? Because <laughs> you uh, all did the wrong one on Love Film. <laughs> yeah, no, but apart from that, I, mean, I just think, I can't imagine why they, why they needed to do that. I can't imagine that anybody wouldn't know what happened in the first. Yeah. Um, well, if it's been a while since you saw it, I, d- I don't know how far apart they came out. Only a few months, I think. I don't think it was that long. It wasn't like a year. It wasn't like Lord of the Rings where you'd forget what happened in the last one. But yeah, I was, I was surprised at that. I liked the first scene. I was surprised that, that, that the whole, um, chapel massacre actually wasn't more violent. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, it, it did that whole thing where it zoomed out of the church and you hear gunfire. And that's a technique that's often used because what you're thinking, you're, if you can't see the violence going on, what you're imagining is often more gruesome than than what they can show. Yeah. I tell you what, did you see Samuel L. Jackson? No. Did you spot him? He was he was I think they called him Rufus, the piano player. Oh, he was cool. Yeah, but you didn't see his face apart from, from a distance, so yeah. it's a real cameo. It was so good. Yeah, he was in there. It's just his voice cracks me up every time. <laughs> So yeah, I was surprised that that wasn't more more violent. But I suppose you're right; it was hinting at it rather than being graphic. We found out her name finally. Yes, um, Beatrix Kiddo, and it made it makes sense because um, Bill often calls her Kiddo. And well, I didn't I didn't understand why it was bleeped out. No, I don't know. I mean, they, they, yeah, they bleeped it out in this one too in in that first chapter. Yeah, I thought I love that quote. I forget who says it now when it says that woman deserves her revenge and we deserve to die. <laughs> I think it was Buddy. Buddy, Bill's brother, said yeah. that. I love that. 
I didn't like him. He's such a great actor. <laughs> I mean, he's got one of those voices that you recognise before you recognise his face. Mm. He was Bruce Willis's cop partner in Sin City. Ah. And I knew when he started talking, I thought, I know who, I've seen you in something else, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah. So I had to, I had to Google it. And then it was like, oh, <laughs> you. It was you. He's got such a great voice. Would you, do you know the thing? I was sitting there watching him though. And, you know, he goes off to work in the bar and then he comes back again. He's got his trailer mm-hmm. in the quarry or somewhere, wherever it is. Yeah. Nowhere. Yeah. Ah, oh, man, I'd love to live somewhere like that. Yeah. Have you, oh, I mean, it just made me think of those road trips. I really want to go back. I really want to do a road trip in Texas. <laughs> Cause we did this, you know, we, we, we've done a couple of RV holidays across the US. And we rented a bloody great 30 foot RV and like lived in it for five or six weeks at a time. And, oh man, I just want to live in a trailer. I want to, live in, I want to be trailer trash. <laughs> we met some really interesting people on these road trips. We met um, a guy that, this was in Idaho, I think it was, who cuts his hedge with an Uzi. Whoa. I know. Um, we met this guy who had two dogs. One was a, one was a male, one was a female, and <laughs> their names were Girl Dog and Boy Dog. <laughs> uh, and we met this guy. He was, this was in, um, Santa Fe in New Mexico. And he lived on this RV park for six months of the year. And then, um, in the winter, he went to live in California. Because he house sat for rich people who spent their winters in Colorado skiing. Mm. And that was his life. You know, he got, he, he earned enough house sitting in California to then basically bum around, um, the rest of the time in Santa Fe and he lived in this trailer. Such nice. a cool guy. We, we were in Colorado and we were just fascinated by, uh, there were signs all over the place about bears. <laughs> there was this, um, there were these signs that they had bear proof dumpsters. Where you had these special locks on the, on the big wheelie bins that bears can get into. That, the bit, the bit where, um, Beatrix gets buried alive. That, I imagine people who are sort of claustrophobic, that would just be terrifying. It was brilliantly done, I thought. I did feel sort of, my breathing got faster and I was, oh, there's not enough oxygen in this room. <laughs> Alex and I were talking about phobias and things a couple of weeks ago. And it's strange. We've never talked about this in the past, but our biggest, both of our biggest fears is not being able to breathe. Mm. Um, which, which is strange considering I smoked my lungs out for 27 <laughs> years. Um, but just the idea of being constricted. Oh, like being underwater. Yeah. Or to sort of find your way up. Yeah, or the, we both said this, being under a bed, um, laid under the bed and somebody's sitting on the bed, so your chest is kind of compacted. <laughs> we both share this kind of phobia. Um, so that would be my worst fear, you know, being buried alive. That'd be just horrible. The noise, I love the way that the, oh, yeah, you the... could hear the earth being piled on top of the box. Yeah. And, and then the lighting got... as well. When, um, when she's being nailed in, it's kind of really bright outside, even, even though it's night time, it's kind of weird. Um, but you can see the light slowly kind of disappearing and then suddenly then they 
sort of put the hammer down for the last time. It's just like completely dark. Oh, I loved it. I loved that. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be in that situation, <laughs> but oh, it was so well done. And when she, when she comes out. Mm, it's kind it's of like, really stylized. Like it's like a zombie movie. Yeah. It's like she comes out and her hand comes up. It's like Dawn of the Dead or something. I love the bit where she walks into that diner and she, you, you, this guy, he's sort of having a cup of tea or something. He's looking out the window and there's this sort of cloud of angry woman and dust everywhere. And she's just like walking towards the diner and he's, he's like, what the hell is this? And she comes in and she kind of, you know, composes herself and sits down and says, um, really sort of, elegantly may i have a glass of water please <laughs> yeah it's funny did you think that the people that she was trying to kill got nastier and nastier throughout the film oh yeah definitely because at the beginning you know you didn't really care that she well, killed the yeah. mother in the kitchen or um or the girl in the club well i kind of felt sorry for for her when you know the person who gets the mum who gets killed but they weren't, I mean, they've obviously done something bad, but they didn't appear to be very bad people. Whereas, you know, Daryl Hannah um, and Bud, mm. they were, you know, mean and nasty. Yeah. Sue was funny. She said, <laughs> she said about Daryl Hannah, she's come a long way since she was a mermaid. Because <laughs> she was in, was it Splash? I love that film. With Tom Hanks. <laughs> oh, and why? Why does she have a plaster on her at the end of her finger? I wondered that. I think it kind of makes her look a bit, um, like a bit childish almost. Cause she's got this suit on and she just, it, it's like she doesn't, she doesn't really fit in it. Hmm. That, that whole scene, especially the fight scene, uh, in the trailer with her and the bride. Ah, oh. oh, God. I mean, all the time I'm thinking, where's the snake? Yeah. Where's that snake gone? Where's that snake gone? It hid under the bed. <laughs> just, and she's collecting the money up in the bag. And I'm going, just look out for the snake. Where's that snake? <laughs> well, she said it was her friend, so. Yeah, I don't know whether the snake said that, though. <laughs> you, so many um, Pulp Fiction, or Pulp Fiction, Sin City references. The gravedigger, Ernie, mm. was in Sin City. There's that whole bit where um, the bride sticks Daryl Hannah's head down the toilet. Yeah. That's Sin City. <laughs> um, yeah. And the, and the, oh, dude, the bit with the eye. Oh. Yeah. As she steps on it, that's the ah, worst bit. That's just the grossest <laughs> bit. Just horrid. I felt really sorry for, um, you know, Pai Mei, the, the sort of... Is it Kung Fu, dude? Yeah, with the beard. I love the way he yeah, strokes his beard the whole beard. time. I felt really sorry for him getting getting killed. Well, it was a bit of a... He was sort of... he was a really horrible person, but... Yeah, but to be poisoned <laughs> yeah, rather than, just... you know, defeated in battle. Yeah. It's cheating. Yeah, no, I didn't like that. And you could tell that, um, that sort of Beatrix was really upset by the fact that her master had been killed. In such a way. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. That was good. No, I really liked that bit. I, I really like that whole training thing. When, this is skipping ahead a bit, but um, when uh, when she's talking to Bill 
and he's sort of doing his whole story thing. He he tells really long stories, um, but he's sort of explaining how she is like um, Superman because all of the other superheroes, you know, like Spider Man, they're all they've they're all like humans. They're all sort of mortals who turn into superheroes when they put their costume on. But uh, Superman, he is his sort of alter ego is Clark Kent. So he's Superman, but he puts his sort of normal clothes on to be Clark Kent. Yeah. And he says Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. I really like that bit. Do you think that's true, though? Do you think Clark Kent just, that Superman just sees everybody as, you know, bumbling? Well, yeah, because why would he be... So kind of, how could he be such a powerful character and then have to kind of to, or maybe he's just trying to be really inconspicuous and trying to make sure no one notices him. Yeah, Superman's not a character that that I have any affection for at all. (laughs) I, I, I know why Superman exists. Um, and you know, at the beginning, why he was important culturally in terms of giving people hope, you know, yeah. in the Great Depression and whatever. I can understand uh, why he exists, but I can't understand why he's lasted. Yeah. I mean, and to go through so many different, you know, versions um, where all the time they're trying to make him relevant to today, it's like, just leave Superman alone. Like, <laughs> Don't understand. I'd tell you what I did think was funny. The fact that when Bibi, the little girl, um, wanted to watch a video before bed, she wanted to watch Shogun Assassin. <laughs> I was thinking about all of our friends that have kids that are about that age thinking, I wonder what videos they watch when they go to bed. I think it's like Peppa Pig or something. Yeah. I think any of them, <laughs> Adventure Time, do you think any of them watch Shogun Assassin? I've never seen it. No, I don't, I've never watched a Kung Fu movie, ever. I tell you what, did you notice that they said unfinished business again? No, I didn't. Yeah, Beatrix and Bill have unfinished business, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> what about what about the five point palm exploding heart technique? That was like the um it reminded me of kind of the end of the first volume where um uh with the bit where she goes, Oh, that's that really was a Hattori Hansai sword. And this was kind of, wow, he actually taught you the five-point exploding heart technique. That's really impressive. He was kind of more impressed than he was scared. Mm. I felt really sad about that. I did too, yeah. The bit where he's sort of ready to die and gets up and he sort of straightens his jacket. Sort of, how do I look? And she's oh, ready. Yeah. I felt really kind of, I don't know, melancholy at the end. You know, I didn't come away from it feeling uplifted. Yeah, I don't think um, you meant to. No, I know, but, you know, it doesn't matter whether you kind of agree with something or you disagree with something or whatever the character's doing. You know, often you come away from the end of the film going, wow, you know, I've, I feel positive about what happened. Whereas that, there actually there wasn't anything redeeming in it at all. Yeah. So I felt a little kind of, oh, okay. Well, you- it's you don't really see much of Bill. He just seems like a kind of rambly old man. Um, he's he doesn't really seem that kind of 
uh, twisted or anything. He's just kind of... No, I mean, maybe it was because I kind of built him up in my mind to be this villain. Yeah, who just doesn't care about anyone, but he's actually, he does care about people and... Yeah, I mean, he was just the guy that made hugely calorific sandwiches. Did you see what he put in? <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> salami, ham, yeah, salami, salami chicken, ham, cheese, cheese, mayonnaise. Gee, there's like massive <laughs> calories in that sandwich. So yeah, he was just the guy that made his kid nice sandwiches. Yeah. So yeah, I came away from it feeling a little kind of disappointed. Not disappointed in the whole film, but just disappointed in the way that I'd felt about it at the end. It was like... I, I kind of felt that, and maybe this was intentional, but I'd felt like she was seeking revenge. She was the positive good character and everybody else was evil and they would be vanquished and you would feel positive that good had triumphed at the end. Yeah. And actually at that final moment, you know, that final moment, you can't really tell whether she's laughing or crying when she's laid on the bathroom floor. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of felt ambiguous about the way that I felt about the whole thing too. And the way that um, when uh, she had the truth serum injected in her and uh, Bill asked, do you think it would have worked out? Do you think you'd have been happy? And she was saying no. Yeah. I, I enjoyed... She sort of cope not killing people. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, he was going to do a sequel. And then I think, I mean, this, this was years and years and years ago. He said he would do a sequel so you'd find out what happened. Um, yeah, but I but I don't think that there's going to be anything now. He, he, I think he said that he's well. Going to didn't he say sort of twenty years? Um, you know, the little girl who gets her her mum gets killed by yeah uh, yeah that, and she said I'll come back in twenty years time if you still feel better about it. Yeah, I didn't read that. I hadn't seen anything about that. Perhaps we can put a link to that in the notes. Maybe I made it up. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know, I'd just leave it hanging. But I, d- I did come away from it feeling flat. And I don't like coming away from films feeling flat. I either like to really like them or really dislike them. And mm. I enjoyed the whole thing. I enjoyed the experience of, you know, watching the two of them. Um, but I didn't come away at the end going, you know, wow. The credits kind of bugged me. It was just a lot of, um, I-, I kind of got the impression that, oh, what are we going to put at the end? Oh, we've got lots of shots of Uma Thurman driving so let's just stick them in with the credits and they put the credits for both films at the end of the second one yeah because you've got the crazy 88s and the characters from from volume oh, yeah. one or didn't that were all they there. credit them in the first film no i don't remember actually i don't think they did i think they did have a look yeah Probably so what are we again <laughs> so what are we going to do next week i would like to go back and watch reservoir dogs I would like to have a little break and make you watch either Adventure Time or a Studio Ghibli film. But you know that that's going to freak me out because I'm OCD and I want to do things. <laughs> but we've already done do things, things in the wrong order. order. So. Yeah, I know, but I'm trying to correct that. <laughs> the universe is out of whack <laughs> in my <laughs> mind. And I want to go back and correct it and watch Reservoir Dogs. Maybe we should get people to vote. Okay, let's do that. We'll we'll ask them on Twitter whether or not Andy can watch Reservoir Dogs this week. Yeah. Um we'll we'll, we'll leave or it. Or a Studio Ghibli film or Adventure Time. Okay, I don't mind a cartoon, but yeah, okay, this might it's, you're just trying to freak me out <laughs> by not doing things in order. Not only are you not doing it in order, you're not doing it 
frequently now. It's <laughs> broken the... Okay. Hmm. <laughs> what are you trying to do? I thought you were logical and organised and systematic. I thought that's what you were like. I didn't realise you just wanted to jump over the place like some crazy woman. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe. Let's let's ask the audience. We we need a we need an unfinished business hashtag or something to maybe people just can reply to the account. What are we going to watch next week? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> right, I'm going to go make a cup of tea. All right. <laughs> See you later. Bye.